0: Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective.
1: Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. With me today on our show is a returning guest, Aaron Williams. Aaron works as the Integrated Care Consultant and Senior Advisor for the National Council of Mental Well-Being. Aaron has more than 18 years of experience providing training and technical assistance in behavioral health services with an emphasis on substance use treatment and prevention. Aaron has written and contributed to numerous articles and reports on drugs of abuse, primary care, and substance use integration. Today, we're going to be talking about treating substance abuse and understanding recovery capital. Aaron, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me back. Glad to be here. It's nice to have you here. You know, as we're talking about recovery, we know that this is a complex, multidimensional dynamic process, and you're looking at factors that can be meaningful in this recovery process, and you're referencing them as recovery capital. So as we start out our show today, if you could operationalize for us this construct, recovery capital, and its role in one's recovery process.
2: Sure. So. When we talk about recovery capital, we're really talking about the sum total of both internal and external resources and supports that someone has access to that will help facilitate and sustain long-term recovery. So what does that mean? Let me start by just backing up a little bit and talk a little bit more about what we understand as the treatment continuum in this country. You know, I think most people understand ideas around prevention. So primary prevention, thinking about health and wellness sorts of programs, advertisements about taking care of yourself. You also see what we call these primary prevention advertisements that just say no to drugs, the anti-drug campaigns as a way of preventing use and talking about the pitfalls of use. There's another component that we talk about, which is brief intervention or early intervention. And those are really strategies designed to intervene much earlier in the process around substance use, really to prevent substance use challenges To mitigate some of the harm there. So there's some harm reduction activities. What most people are familiar with in this process is what we call more formal treatment. Mm -hmm. So people going to rehabilitation clinics, behavioral health treatments, cognitive behavior therapy, and the like, most people are very familiar with that. But there's another component here that isn't talked about much in the larger conversation that we have, Which is around recovery and recovery capital and recovery Mm supports. So the idea here is that going to treatment is important, particularly for many people. And when people come out of treatment, there are other supports and resources that many may need in order to sustain long-term recovery. So when you think about some models, or at least the more traditional models of treatment and recovery, they sort of look at treatment as kind of a washing machine. You put in, you know, someone that has a substance use challenge, you send them through 28 days of treatment and they come out and they're ready to go. Oh, that's not really true for most people. For for most people, you know, there are a lot of other supports, a lot of other resources Mm -hmm. that they need in order to stay on that journey, on that path around recovery, you know, thinking about, you know, citizenship, you know, really re-engaging with families or taking care of their health and wellness. Really all the things that we think about and in some ways take for granted in, in many of our own lives. So, how do we help people sustain mm-hmm. those activities, those resources, and really move forward often involves other things even beyond the treatment experience. So when we talk about this idea of recovery capital, what we're really talking about is those supports that people already have, those supports that they may need and really assessing in an overall way you know, where someone is on a, a multiple subset of domains of things that we know help people move forward in a recovery process
1: yeah, that's really good. You know treatment's important and 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 I would agree with that. that's goes without saying, but treatment's only going to be as good as these sustaining constructs are in place to sustain it, to allow it to continue. and so you're you're holding these internal and external resources that can be a part of initiating and sustaining this recovery. And it sounds like the presence of them or the absence of them can serve as a predict kind of almost a perspective predictor of one's recovery
2: outcome. Yes, in, in some ways that, that's true. One of the things that we encourage is for clinicians, peer recovery support specialists, others who may be involved in working with someone who has a substance use challenge, mm-hmm. that they begin to ask questions about this. You know, Do you have family involvement? You know, are, are you still engaged and connected with your family? Do you have other health issues? Do you have concerns or or challenges as it relates to housing? You know, do you have legal difficulties? All of these things can be determinative in whether or not a person's going to successfully move into long-term recovery. And it's important to make that assessment because many people have varying strengths in any of those particular items or domains. And that changes over time. So you want to continuously look at that.
1: That's really good. You know, if you would, let's shift a wee bit and let's name and maybe explain for us a bit the various types of recovery capital that have been determined to be essential in one's recovery process. What are you seeing
2: them being? So when we talk about recovery capital, we're really talking about 10 domains as it exists now. One is substance use and abstinence. Another is mental wellness and spirituality, physical and mental health, Mm -hmm. citizenship and community involvement. Are you engaged in meaningful activities, job, career, education, recreation, your relationships and social networks, housing and safety, your ability to engage in risk-taking and independence from you know, legal responsibilities or institutions,
0: mm-hmm.
2: coping skills, life functioning. And then your actual recovery experience. The recovery experience we're talking about, you know, what has happened on your journey of recovery? Are you seeing progress? You know, are, are there have there been setbacks? How do you feel about that as it relates to your recovery experience?
1: Yeah. Those are really good. I think in general, psychologically, we can can see that there are four basic dimensions that support one's healthy life there i'm sure there are others but the kind of the four basic ones tend to be one's health Mm -hmm. home purpose and Mm -hmm. community and the recovery capital that you're describing here nicely falls into these dimensions and what really stands out to me is something that you don't oftentimes think about or hear about is this idea of citizenship and community involvement. And and citizenship almost feels like, well, you've got to have some personal responsibility in our community. You have to be in life in a responsible citizenship minded way. But there's something really helpful around that, that organizes us and that gives us meaning and purpose to come back into life and to be doing these things that I can clearly see being helpful in sustaining a
2: recovery process. Absolutely. I think the idea of citizenship in some ways can be lost when we have this discussion, Mm -hmm. partly because very much for most people outside of the recovery space, their interaction with people with a substance use challenge may only come when you see these sort of quality of life issues in your community. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that, that happens when people are on their journey you know, into recovery or moving forward on their recovery journey, they begin to re-engage in the community. Yes. They begin right. to become more connected. They begin to think differently about their surroundings, you know, where they live, safety. All of these issues are, are positive signs for people who may have had challenges in those areas of regaining that sense of self, that sense of purpose that you talked about. So, so I think it is important to talk about this idea of citizenship in some way. I mean, we're thinking about this very broadly, of course. So we're not just talking about whether someone voted or not in a particular election, right. but even more, more broadly than that, you know, how engaged they are, you know, within the society, the communities within they work. Are they Engaged in mentorship programs or exactly. a full array of things that you can do in your own community and many of us take advantage of all the time, but sometimes take for granted in, in terms of our overall health and and wellness. I really like the way
1: you're framing this because I think oftentimes when we think about substance abuse and dependence, we think of somebody kind of broken or kind of seeming in kind of a broken model. But this model you're talking about it right here with a recovery capital that can be built into one's life. Maybe they haven't had it before, which might be explanatory of some of the places they found themselves in. But these are things that one can build. You're not necessarily born with these or not. These are things that one can develop and build. And it's truly an empowering model. It's a generative model where one can kind of rise out of these things and de- develop a self-definition and a purpose and a meaning. And it's what I'm noticing also about the recovery capital that you're outlining for us is that, that, is that these are foundational in nature. These are long-term, really well-rooted aspects of one's life that enable and support a healthy life in general. And and we know that substance abuse and dependence are are chronic conditions oftentimes, which infers that one's remission or one's recovery is also a process that unfolds over time rather than just a time-limited event, like you said, a 28-day wash cycle. So it seems to me that the focus on the establishment of this recovery capital really fits nicely and efficaciously into the perspective of recovery being a long-term process that one gets to embed themselves in in these really good constructs.
2: Yes, certainly. I, I think you're you're right about that. The one thing I would say is that you know recovery capital in these constructs are fairly universal. You know, all of us have them to some degree in our lives. In some ways they're sort of background. in some ways we take for granted you know, housing and safety until there's a need to you know engage in, in a different way. Yeah. But you know very often all of us have some or all of these things working relatively well. And so the question becomes for others you know, who may have a substance use disorder, whether or not you know they have all of those things in place, do they need help in some of those areas? Many of us who may not have a substance use challenge may find ourselves lacking in a particular area, but may not need as much support. That's correct in terms of addressing that or bringing that up to a standard that we're comfortable with. But for others, it may it may need they may need some intervention. They may need some help. One of the things that is pretty common for people with substance use dis- disorders or substance use challenges, is having some level of legal concerns. So concerns, whether it is unpaid parking tickets or more serious criminal justice involvement. And that might require some legal assistance. So the other question is whether or not our treatment and prevention or community organizations have the resources available
0: to help people with those things. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Most of us spend more time at work than anywhere else doing anything else. So why not spend that time in a job you love? Introducing Triad's Jobs Marketplace, the only job site dedicated specifically to behavioral and mental health professionals. Featuring more than 1,000 open jobs from dozens of behavioral and mental health employers and searchable by location, professional field, employment type, specialization, and more. Jobs Marketplace helps you find your next career opportunity. Full-time, part-time, or gig time make the most of your time. To access Jobs Marketplace, register for your free professional account at hellotriad.com bht. That's hellotriad.com slash bht, and then click to Jobs Marketplace. If you're already a member of the Triad community, visit app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. That's app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. Visit us today and take your next career step tomorrow.
1: I want to Again. talk about what National Council is doing along that line in just a moment, but you're referencing maybe we could jump into first here is the assessment process around one's recovery capital and what they have in place and what they don't. How do you how do you assess one's recovery capital needs?
2: So, in terms of the historical context, I think this concept goes back you know, at least to the, the late. 1990s, I think William White and William Cloud began talking about this. It was flushed out in some papers around 2008, 2009, where they really began to expand some of these concepts. At some point, the development of the ARC, which is a assessment of recovery capital, was put forward, which is about a 50-item questionnaire. Very good. That was sort of trimmed down to a much shorter document, which is called the BARC-10. is the brief assessment of recovery capital. So there's a shorter document available. I think there may be some other newer iterations of some assessments that are coming out now. The BARC is pretty much the one used commonly. Dr. Corey Villicent I think was one of the lead authors in sort of developing that. She's a researcher up in Massachusetts, has been doing this work for quite a long time. So those assessment tools allow providers, community workers, peer recovery support specialists to begin assessing and asking critical questions to people to understand where they are in terms of their journey and where they are in terms of their strengths or challenges around recovery capital. And it allows you to more strategically talk to a person, to put in place things that might help them in particular areas, or to decide: hey, this person's really strong in this area, you know, we don't need to do as much here. So the important thing, I think, and getting to your question about the National Council and our role, the important thing is that providers are doing these kinds of assessments, but also have the resources to address things and provide assistance in some of the areas where people may be challenged. And that is, in some ways, a conversation about how behavioral health or mental health and substance use service delivery organizations are structured, what kind of partnerships they have. It's also an issue, you know, writ large about funding and what from a federal perspective or state perspective is being paid for to make sure that people have access to it. So the National Council, as you know, our sort of core is that we are a membership organization. We're made up of about 3,200 substance use treatment, mental health, healthcare provider organizations. And we represent their interests in particular around things like this, making sure that there's adequate funding, making sure that there are adequate resources available within communities to do this work, understanding, as we talked about, that this is an ongoing, comprehensive approach to working with people who have mental health or substance use challenges, and that we need to have those resources in place you know, to meet the demands that working with this group of necessitates. Really good. I
1: know that uh, Congress recently has allocated some monies and how is that looking for you guys as you maybe look to help expand and kind of scale this recovery capital kind of across the nation through the 3,200 plus you know organizations you work with?
2: Well, I think there are a number of organizations, not just us, that are looking at these ideas around recovery capital. Certainly, there are a number of groups that advocate particularly for peers and peer support services that are doing that favor, faces and voices of recovery, other groups that are in this space. You know, the last year, particularly with, I think, the passage of the that at the end of the year, the omnibus spending bill provided significant resources and some policy changes around substance use treatment and mental health services that I think ultimately will be beneficial. We still are you know, waiting to see how some of these things are rolled out and implemented, but I think ultimately they will be helpful for the most part. But as I think you all know, there always can be more that, that can be done. You know, this is a ongoing concern of our country and really globally. We are still dealing with the effects of the global pandemic. You know, real sea change and how you know we provide services, but also how people live and negotiate life now. So we're really trying to make sure that we are, you know, at the forefront, and we're doing the things that our members and other organizations, you know, really need in terms of advocacy and support. Mm-hmm. So this has been good recently. Certainly, no doubt, I think there are some positive steps that have happened in terms of funding and some philanthropic resources that have been provided. But you know, certainly more can be done, and certainly we'll continue to advocate for more to be done in these areas. You
1: know, one of the things I really like about national councils you guys do just really nice thorough assessments and really neat assessments you know we're talking about the bark 10 and and the way you guys determine what the needs are and then you guys do a really nice job aaron of kind of customizing and fashioning the services you're going to be providing to really meet those needs specifically and there's a real thoroughness in that that i think allows for the increased likelihood that you know the, the medicine is going to work these the, these interventions are going to really produce some of the desired effects that are going on talking about maybe desired effects is there a maybe kind of a hallmark story that comes to mind of a community maybe adopting this recovery capital and the success of this focus?
2: You know, I think there are stories across the country where organizations are using you know these tools and are using them to their advantage. There are cases where people are doing really holistic assessments. You know, I think of health centers. I, I was in one, I believe, in Indiana probably a couple of years ago, where they have on-site legal services. Perfect. So one of the things that that does, they know that people who come in very often may have some legal concerns or issues and they need access to low cost legal services. So they thought it was in their best interest to actually have those services available and on site. And certainly there are, as, as another example, numerous organizations, treatment organizations that have partnered with recovery housing services in the area. Mm -hmm. Certainly that's a a big concern in this space. Currently, you know, we're trying to enhance the amount of recovery-oriented housing that is around the country. So certainly there are many examples where that partnership exists and people are doing that work. But all of that really stems from, I think, a holistic assessment Mm -hmm. of what the needs are and where people are strong and where they can you know, really advocate for themselves in certain areas, or where they need support. So, you know, many organizations are doing this work in varying different ways. But as I said earlier, you know, funding still needs to be available and and, and accessible in ways that you know make doing that work much easier.
1: Really good. I'm going to ask you something here, kind of on a personal and professional basis, given the. Broad and you know you, you've got some experience that has some real depth and breadth to it, and I so love being able to tap into those that really have their ear to the to the rail around things like this. And for the most part, we're talking about secondary and tertiary prevention strategies. Those are those are strategies and prevention techniques that are that take place and come into play once things are already problematic to different degrees. And if we were just to maybe shift this for a moment and I could tap into maybe, what do you see the cause of some of these things that we're seeing right now being so significant? What's the underlying cause around some of the the changes in health, home, purpose, community, but maybe looking at the root and that'd be more kind of a primary work, wouldn't it? Going down to really what the cause of it is. What are you seeing with your exposure, the way you have it?
2: You know, that's that's an interesting question and something that I have been thinking about a lot lately. And the way I, I frame it is thinking about this idea of community yes. and thinking about this idea of what a healthy community looks like. What's available in a healthy community? What's there? If we think about a community and its health and well-being, often we think about what kinds of resources are there, whether a grocery store is there, whether there's adequate housing there. And those things are absolutely important, no doubt. But I also think about, you know, what sorts of recovery supports are there? You know, are you engaged with the recovery community? Are there recovery walks? Are there prevention initiatives? Are there health fairs? Those are all, I think, Important resources in healthy communities, communities that thrive, communities that can move forward in ways where all of their citizens, you know, feel safe and protected. So, you know, that's a sort of a long way to kind of answer. No, of no, no. Discussion. I think that's
1: really good. I, I think it's really good. I I'm, I'm appreciating that. I, I think within the community, if we're if we're kind of stacking it right and we're resourcing it right, we're talking about ways to promote health. Mm-hmm one's home, mm-hmm. one's, you know, one's purpose in their life. And we put those kind of, kind of fundamental pillars in place.
2: Things yep. tend to line up pretty well. Absolutely. And, and this goes into a much larger conversation about, you know, what we call social determinants of health. Yeah. So, you know, you're, to your point, when you think about some of the ideas and topics that we've talked about, there are these social determinants, things that we know from the research that if they are absent or if they're problematic in communities, you're more likely to have, you know, higher rates of substance use, higher rates of mental health concerns, higher rates of, of, of poor health and wellness you know, right. in particular communities. So this, this idea of a healthy community also thinks about what are those social determinants? Yeah. You know, do you live next to a landfill? You know, are there significant trauma within the community that's gone unaddressed in both current and recent trauma, but also historical trauma? Yeah. You know, are are you engaged in that work of not just restoration, but repair that's in right. order to address those things? You know, it'd be fun to have you back to talk about those because I think those
1: are at the primary prevention level where we can get in early. And, you know, if we were to look at things maybe generationally, maybe the, the generation win right now is going to have to be best supported through some of the secondary and tertiary you know preventions. and that's great. we'll we'll feed and seed those and 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 help them recover to their to the best of their ability and the lives that they're intended and designed to live. And the idea of with these social determinants being identified and being things that we can intervene early at a primary level, making sure those are at place and up and going as well. So let's, let's kind of flag that. We'd love to have you back to talk us maybe something about that and what you guys are doing that, maybe even through National Council down the road, because I think that's everything. Otherwise, we're just always playing catch up. We're always trying to, you know, patch the hole and and put things back together. And while that's important to help people reclaim the lives that they're designed and, and, and intended to live, boy, if we can start out coming right out of the gate and what kind of services and what kind of communities are we building to put these things proactively in place. So thanks for naming that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd be happy to, to come back. You know, the one thing I would just add really quickly to you know, that comment is our thought is that these things work, you know, synergistically in terms yes. of there are things that individuals can do or resources that they have as individuals that can help them along their recovery journey. Mm-hmm. But, you know, within that context is always the community. What communities are they going back to? How healthy are those communities? Right. You know, what are the resources that will be there when, when they return? And those are, are things that all work together. Yes. We can engage in all of the work or people can engage in all of the right. individual work, but if they go back to communities where resources are limited or that are just not, you know, helpful in terms of supporting the recovery, there are likely to be some, some discomfort and some some friction there.
1: Absolutely. The basis of what you're talking about right now is the importance of relationships, you know, within the community, within the family, within your next door neighbor, whatever's going to be part of your life. It is, it is critical. We're relational beings. That shouldn't be any surprise to us, should it? No. And the quality of our lives is going to be based on the quality of our relationships and So I I love this emphasis. Let's flag it and we'll come back together around that. I look forward to that time. As we kind of come around the bend here, I would love to have our our listeners have some resources from you about where they can learn more about Recovery Capital, National Council, and you and the work that you're doing.
2: Well, first, I just say that if you go to our website, w.nationalcouncil.org, certainly you can find all about what the National Council does. Within that, I'm actually part of my work here as a senior advisor. I'm also a part of our internal consultant pool. We have a number of consultants that do a lot of that customized training and technical assistance that you talked about. And certainly my profile is there. I think the last time I was here, I think that podcast is up there as well. So you can hear and see more about me as well as other excellent consultants and advisors that can help you Along your journey as well,
1: you're also just to let me just kind of enter here. You're you're also a great writer, and I've loved reading some of your articles. And there's a there's a ton of them up there that are so meaningful and so applicable to the content and topics that we're talking about today. Those are some
2: great resources for people to check out as well. You know, the one thing I would want to also promote. So the federal government has been doing a lot of work in this area. One of the things they've done recently in the last three years is they've started a center of excellence. It's the peer recovery center of excellence and that center of excellence. We're a part of it, but there are a number of other organizations that are a part of that work. You know, they're really doing a, a lot of work in the recovery space, trying to synthesize, you know, research and work that's already been done, but also understanding what the needs are around peer recovery support so issues like recovery capital come up in our discussions all the time. So if people want other more up-to-date resources, really a wealth of resources, it is www.peerrecoverynow.org, I believe.
1: Perfect. So that
2: is the website for that. It's the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Well, Erin, it's always great to have you on the show. And really a great conversation. I love everyone we have. Look forward to having you come back. Maybe we can talk about the social determinants of health Mm -hmm. and kind of build upon some of these things, maybe even from a primary prevention perspective. And I'll look forward to that time. But for today, thank you so much. Absolutely. Great to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Always great to be with you. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining Aaron and me. It's always great to have you as well. I want to remind you that today's episode and its resources and all of our other shows can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com bht. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com bht, and explore our archive of podcasts and other resource materials. Thanks again for joining us today, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today.